Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Greenville First Christian Church. Um, I'm so glad you've been able to be here and worship with us. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. Um, we're blessed to have you online. If you're online, fill out one of the uh, connection cards that's in the description on YouTube below, or just let us know you're there. Leave a comment. We'd love to know you're here. Let's celebrate those that are joining us online. Let's praise God for them. You may be listening on the radio. We want to welcome you as well. Um, last weekend, I joined you online. We were on a stay vacation. I've never done one of those before. I, I don't really love those, but it was still good uh, to just kind of hang out with family a little extra and be home more. Um, we were a, weren't able to do our uh, vacation plans because of the things changing in the world, and we're going to get past that. Amen? It's going to be changing. Um, but here's the reality. We, we did a stay vacation, and we went over to Harvester of Missouri in St. Charles for worship. But while I'm driving on the interstate, Tiffany's got you guys uh, on her phone, and we're worshiping together with you, and it was really good. And Dee did a great job in the message. Amen? Amen. But I'm um, trying to drive, and Tiffany's saying, hey, look what they're doing now. It's like, I'm driving, okay, you know? There's some limitations to how you can worship and drive. But we went over and were able to worship a harvester, got to see Daryl in worship and Ben Merrill. It was a great blessing to see those guys. And the Harvester Church is returning. They're doing as well as uh, also. Uh, but I want you to know, you may be online, and I was able to worship with you online. There's nothing like being with people in the family of God, whether at Harvester or here. And I want to say, it is good to be with you this morning. It's a blessing to be able to come here. And maybe you're online, maybe you're on the radio, and there's a big reason for that. We hope that soon you'll be able to regather with us. We miss you, and we're praying for you. We pray that you're blessed this morning. Uh, and you're meant to be content. You, you are meant to, in Christ, have contentment, to have peace, no matter what's going on. I pray that in the midst of these crazy times, you and your family have contentment in Christ. But here's the deal. That doesn't mean you're going to always be happy. But nothing can take away the hope we have in Christ. Amen? That doesn't always mean uh, that you'll be free of problems and pain. But remember, Jesus Christ has promised he'll never leave us, never forsake us. And that gives us peace no matter what we face. It doesn't mean you're going to be free of sickness and even death. Because we know those are real. But we can stand strong because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has conquered both sin and death. And we can trust him now uh, more than ever. Amen? That's where we're standing. That's where contentment is found. This week, uh, the first service, we didn't have any computer during the sermon. Uh, do we have the slides of the sermon? I haven't even got an update. Good, okay. I don't believe this first slide is on this, uh, Philippians, because it wasn't even on the, uh, in the sermon on Friday, but I put it in yesterday morning as I was refining the message. So would you stand with me as I read from Philippians chapter 4? Now, listen to these words. Paul is writing a church that's going through a lot of difficult times. There can be some fear and anxiety that's coming into lives. And here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Will you say that with me on the count of three? Rejoice. One, two, three. Rejoice. He says, say it again and again. We've rejoiced early in this day. We're going to rejoice again at the end of the sermon. It goes on in verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus please have a seat i want you to know you may have come here today anxious 
stressed, concerned, having doubts, uh, having division within and around your life, and that is not how we're to live. So what we're going to do is follow this passage. We've rejoiced early. We're going to rejoice again after the message, but right now we're going to pray because he says if you're anxious about anything, present your request to God. Guys, we need to be praying for our farmers. They're giving a push to get over the hump, probably the middle or the end of harvest, and it is getting dangerous out there. I pray we get some rain today so they can go in and rest, and the fire situation will be reduced. So we're going to pray for our farmers. We're going to pray for our administrators and school leaders and teachers and students because it's still a push they're going through. It's different. We need to be praying for our leaders of our nation, our community. They need our prayers. Our nation needs our prayers. There is such great division. I've been praying this, uh, regardless of political affiliation, I've been praying that the leaders that really want to serve our nation and you would would rise to the top and that they would honor God. And we need to be praying for those leaders during this time. Be praying for our church team, whether it's the staff or volunteers. Man, we've asked them to change and then do this and then change this. Uh, Be praying for them. Our our staff has uh, uh, been altered and we're going to be rebuilding it. But be praying for them. Pray for our elders and our deacons. Today after church, the elders have one of the longer meetings of the year. And it's not just long. There's a lot to do. They're going to be, here's what's exciting though. They're going to be dreaming and planning for 2021. It's going to be brighter. Amen? So we're going to be planning for that today. So be praying for the elders And pray for more people to know Jesus and find peace in him. Father in heaven, we come to you right now and we thank you for today that we can rejoice and we again say rejoice. Help us to dive into your word today and learn that we are made to be content. That doesn't mean we're going to be happy all the time, but it means that you give us peace and you give us hope all the time. Father, I pray that you be with the farmers as they push through right now. Give them safety. Some of them may be watching from their tractors. Uh, their auger wagons, wherever they're at, I pray that they would know that we're, we're uh, having them on our minds and in our prayers. Give them safety from fires today and, and accidents. Uh, give them a blessing of a harvest. Father, be with the students and teachers and admin of the college and university in the area and in, in our local schools and the home schools, Lord. Give, give everyone peace. I pray for the leaders of our nation, both uh, right here locally and, and nationally. Let those who desire to honor you and to serve this nation to rise to the top. Lord, be with our team as uh, we're adjusting to to new roles and new ask of everyone. And thank you for our volunteers. Lord, be with the elders and deacons, the elders especially today as they plan for the next year and and how we would most use our resources and develop a plan for uh, a ministry that would be honoring to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're meant to be content. I think that the thing I want to highlight here is you are not made to have anxiety day in and day out. You are not meant to, to, to go through uh, times of stress ongoing and ongoing. You are not meant to, to live in division with your family or, or as a nation. We're not meant to, to, to be doubting and have fighting all the time. Jesus did not come to earth and die for us so we could live a life of worry. It's just not the way it's meant to be. So we need to fight back against this and pursue a a contentment that comes through him. Jesus himself says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. If we're honest right now, there's days where we feel like we're just getting by. Jesus has meant you to live a higher level than than what we're having right now. So, So we've got to focus in on the word, not by how things feel, but what the word says. Our contentment comes from Christ and that can't be taken away. 
Paul says when we live to honor him, uh, true contentment comes. And this godly contentment is of great gain. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It has great value. And that's what we're diving into God's word to find today, this, this contentment that has such great value. The first week we studied that, that if we want to have this contentment in Christ, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, you've got to run from evil. There's nothing that robs my peace and my contentment more than sin. And I, I, I would say you, you might be uh, different than that, but I doubt it. I, I doubt there's anything in life that takes your contentment and peace, removes it from your heart, greater than when you choose to rebel and sin against God. And I hope you don't do it all the time, but when you do, it's devastating to our hearts and our minds. So we need to run from sin. Paul highlighted three main things to run from. It's the false teaching of the day. And there's false teaching around us today, things that people say, hey, this is just truth, and they're trying to convey a, a different mindset than the Word of God would have in our lives, and we've got to stick to truth. We've got to run from false teaching. We've got to run from division within the church, especially in our families. And we've got to run specifically, he says, from the love of money. Now, understand money, again, is not evil, but that love, that desire, that trust within that money is, is wrong. We've got to run from it, flee from it. D last week says, okay, if you're going to run from these things, we've got to pursue these things. And he talked about, first of all, and I love this, it's in the scripture, and he, he pointed out so well, we've got to pursue truth. We've got to, to seek it. We've got to, to uh, put it into our hearts and our minds and live it. I heard Francis Chan say this weekend as I was uh, listening to a podcast, Francis Chan made this quote. And he said, um, if the Bible and I disagree at some point, if, uh, as we study the Word of God and, and we come to a point where, where my thoughts differ from what the Word of God says, we have to assume that I am wrong. Man, that's hard today. Oh, I'm right. I've got it figured out, right? No, uh, it, it's, so, it's so true. As we pursue truth, we've got to commit to the Word of God being the absolute truth. We also pursue the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, God's Son, was sent to this earth and lived a perfect life and died for you and I, and he defeated both sin and death, and we can have the hope of living through accepting him and following him as our Savior. We have to pursue that and share it. And then finally, this choice to honor God in all that we do. We've got to pursue these things. But the secret is all wrapped up in Jesus. There's no contentment apart from him. Oh, you can try to be content apart from him, and it will come and go probably based on your happiness. But in Christ, we can have contentment. He puts it this way in Philippians 4, 13 and 19. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ in me gives me strength. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It is in him that we have our needs met. It is in him that we have peace. Remember Paul said last week, here's really the list of contentment that we have, Timothy. It says, we have Christ, food and clothing, we can be content. Sometimes that's tested. What does it take for you to be content? Contentment is having peace with what you have in this present world because of Christ's presence in your life. Man, that can be tested. It was tested for me on our stay vacation, our staycation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the first day of the staycation, uh, our well pump failed. We live out in the country, so we have uh, a well. We ha don't have rural water. We haven't plugged into that. The well has always served us well. There was still water in the well, but the well failed. So we, we fixed that, uh, and we got it right. The next morning, I woke up, and guess what? There was no water. 
I was like, well, man, some anxiety came over me. Hey, we fixed this, we fixed this. It was still uh, malfunctioning and there's something wrong. And as I sat in the dark in my house at 4.30 in the morning, not knowing what the next, next day brought, I thought back to this text I just preached. As long as we have food and clothing, we can be content. I was like, God, what about the water? I need some water for my family. The kids are all going to go up. Can we flush the toilets? Can we brush our teeth? We got that fixed based on a very good friend, and he served uh, the Lord well and helped me fix that. It was great. But in that moment, on those two days, I'm like, God, do I really have to live this idea of being, trying to be content with only Christ? And the answer is yes. After a little bit of moment and refocusing on Scripture and praying, I was like, it's going to be okay. But sometimes we think as following Christ, we lose everything. You're like, okay, I'm going to commit to Christ. And Tyson's telling me there's going to be contentment. I know what this looks like. I get it. I'm going to follow Christ and all the fun, all the blessings of this world are going to be gone. And I'm going to live the Christian life and it's going to be boring. It's going to be uh, so great, you know. All the things of this world are gone, these things I love. If that's the experience you have of following Christ, if that's what you've watched Christians live, is like, oh, woe is me, I'm following Christ. It's wonderful. You're missing the truth of Scripture. Go back to the Word. If that's how you feel, you need to alter because that's not what the Word of God says. Look back to the text, to this passage in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's the exact opposite of this idea that when you're Christians, everything is going to be dull and, and, and drab and, and boring. No, God says, if you trust me, I'm going to richly provide everything you need for your enjoyment. Man, that's a big deal. God wants to bless you. God is always looking to bless his children. With how much? What does the scripture say? Everything? That's a big deal. But we have to put our hope in him. If you're watching online or no matter where you're at, this is for everyone. Our hope has to be in God. We've got to remove ourselves from putting our hope in our nation, in our president, in, in, in the, uh, the government. We've got to uh, quit putting our hope in, in our local uh, leaders. We've got to quit putting our hope in uh, the, great, the greatest corporate uh, American culture. We've got to quit putting our hope in organizations of this world. And our hope has to be in God because that's the only thing that's truly stable. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, how much God can do. You may be thinking, well, what can God really do? What, what will he do? Now to him, he's talking about God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Pause right there for a second. He is able to do more. You know what he can do? He can do more than you can ever even think of asking. Ever the, he can do more than you can ever imagine to ask of him how. It's according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is wanting to bless you for his glory and for your enjoyment. That's the truth. We, we have been blessed to be a blessing. Here's what Ephesians 1 says this. Because of this concept, he says, Praise be to God, our Father. The Father always wants to bless the children. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our contentment is found in Christ because God wants to pour on blessings so that we can be a blessing. That is the title of this sermon, Blessed to be a Blessing. And I believe you're blessed. I believe you're blessed. And those of listening on the radio, you have been blessed. If you have received Christ as your Savior, if you have uh, been saved by grace, you have been blessed more than you can imagine because what awaits you is greater than we can ever even get a picture of now. 
You might be saying, well, I'm, I've not really been blessed. If we're Christians, especially living in Bond County or the United States, we're blessed. We're rich. Here's what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 17. He's talking about contentment. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Pause right here for a second. If you're a Christian in the United States of America, it is tempting to be arrogant at times. And Paul is speaking to, to us as much as he is in Timothy. Command them to be rich, who are rich, not to be arrogant or put their faith in wealth or their hope, which is uncertain. Man, that's an understatement. The things of this world, the only thing that's certain is it's uncertain. We, we don't know about the future. But put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich in this present world. I'm not rich. You're still committed to that. I know many of you are. If I had you to raise your hands, most of you would say, I'm not rich. Uh, recently, I asked daily, are we rich? And she says, no. You know, we, we at a very early age, at seven years, like, we, we don't, we don't uh, we're not qualified as rich. I, I grew up watching uh, DuckTales, and I thought rich people literally had coins of, of gold and money just piled up around the house. That's what rich people do. I, we're not rich. Yes, we are. You may be thinking, well, I'm still not rich. I know rich people. There may be a few in the church, but I'm not rich. Here's some realities of the relationship of this world, just how wealthy we are, how rich we are. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back to wear, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of people in the world. And that's probably most of you. Unless you just cleaned out your fridge. I don't have any food. We cleaned it out yesterday. That's not my problem. You know, that's what you did yesterday. You, you, some of you may say, well, I don't have food, and you may be different than that. And I, my heart goes out to you. Let us know. We'll meet that need. But if you have those three things, you're richer than 75% of people. If you earn $25,000 or more annually, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. That's probably most of you. If you have money in the bank, I mean, even if it's $5, some money, and you have some money in your wallet or your purse and some spare change, some on your house, probably in your couch. If you're like, I don't have one of those change drawers, you got it in your couch. If you have any money in those three areas, you're in the top 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. That's why worldwide missions is so important. Our uh, value of our dollar that we give really changes lives and gives them hope. If you earn more than $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. 50,000 is that point. We're blessed. We're rich. So what do we do? What, what do we, how do we live based on these standards of being wealthy in this world? He commands us to do these things. Look back to the text, to chapter uh, 6, verse 18. He says, those who are rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In, in this way, we lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of, of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. And then he ends this chapter, the, the entire letter, by saying, grace be with you all. Command those who are rich, and, and most of you probably have been convicted, hey, I'm pretty rich in, in relationship to this world, but it's not all about money. He, he's not just talking about be uh, generous with our money. It, it really, at times, has very little to do with money. In fact, religious leaders during Jesus' day had made it so much about money, they missed the point completely. 
Look what the Word of God says in Matthew 23. These religious leaders had been making it all about money for years, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says, woe to you. He says, oh, whoa, there's going to be great pain for you that are looking at it this way. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth or a tithe of your spices, your mint, your dill, and cumin. He says, you give, you, you tithe on, you give a tenth of even the little mint that you come out of your, your like backdoor garden. You, you, you give a tithe of everything you can think of and thinking that checks the box of God being honor, uh, you being honoring to God. He says, but here's the problem. You neglect what is more important in these matters of law. That is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Here's what had been happening. The religious leaders, the people that thought they had it figured out what God wanted, just focused on the resources and giving 10% away. Check all these boxes. God's going to be happy with us. And then they didn't change how they really lived. And God says, it's not about the money as much as it is about the heart. You should have continued to, to, to be aware of the tithe, but you should have done these bigger things first, these things of, that were more important, like treating people with justice. Nothing's changed since Jesus walked this earth. There needs to be justice in this earth. This is the words of Jesus. This is more important than even money. Uh, be willing to offer mercy. When someone is down and out and they deserve to be punished, look for ways to show them mercy because we have been shown mercy. He also says, be faithful to often people who've been hurt and let down. Are you really saying as a preacher, there's more important things than the tithe? I'm following the words of Jesus, and the answer is yes. Being merciful, showing justice, and being faithful. Jesus says these are more important. Look back to the text. He says, you have neglected the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says it's not just about giving, it's about all. You have been blessed in every way to be a blessing in every way. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to make it just about one thing and check the box and think, hey, God's off my back. I've taken care of what I need to take care of. Sometimes we believe it's only about one thing, but God says you've been blessed in every way to be a blessing. And I want to highlight three things that he says in chapter 6 that we need to make sure we're doing as we have received the blessing of grace so that we could be a blessing to others. The first thing is this. In chapter 6, verse 17, he says, command them to do good. Some of you are like, oh, no problem, I got this. That's why I come to church every week. I put on my good clothes. I put on my good attitude. When people ask me how things are going, I say, good. And I do that every week. How many of you know what that kind of looks like as a, as a churchgoer, as a Christian? We, we've been brought to, to be good, to, to look good, and to say we're good. I got that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about more than just doing uh, something simple, good, like dressing up and, and putting on a good attitude. He's saying, make sure you're doing good. And it's more than just good as we think about it. it it's this idea that Dee talked about last week. We're going to pursue what's right, what's holy, what's godly. Uh, if you look at this in the English language, I think he's saying, be doing the godly thing, not just the good thing. So often as, as, as Christians in modern day culture, we just want to do the next thing and do it good and feel good about ourselves and then be like, okay, it's kind of like the Pharisees. I'll, I'll do the best I can with the tithe and that's what I'm going to check off the list. I wonder what you've been checking off the list for a long time that doesn't really matter. 
There was a time whenever I thought I had to wear penny loafers and a, a three-piece suit to preach. That wasn't that long ago. It doesn't matter nearly as much as how I'm dressed as the heart of what I'm preaching, of what we're uh, trying to attain for him. Now, does it matter that we do our very best for God? Absolutely. But there's things that don't matter that much. He says, you should have done all these things, but the most important things were, were doing the, the godly thing. Michael J. Fox said this years ago, I, I shared with the youth group uh, a couple weeks ago when we started uh, uh, student ministry again, that I kind of, I wanted to be Michael J. Fox growing up. Um, it was just, uh, it was like my first person I tried to emulate. And then I've always kind of paid attention to him. I don't really know all of his faith uh, matters, but he's a persistent man. But this is what he said about 10 years ago. And I've never forgot this. He says this, it is not about doing the next thing right. It's about doing the next right thing. A lot of times we're like, okay, whatever's in front of me, I'm going to do, do it well. I'm going to be good at it, and that's going to be honorable. And sometimes we need to say, I'm going to stop doing this. It's just wasting my time, and I'm going to make sure I'm doing the next right thing. Sometimes what really limits us from doing the godly thing is a good thing. If you've read the book uh, From Good to Great, he says, the author says, that really what keeps us from doing the great thing, and I would submit to you the godly thing, is another good thing that really doesn't matter to much. I wonder how many of you are just doing good things, but you're not doing anything that really blesses the kingdom of God. What things are those? Go back to the text. Pursuing truth. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a friend that's lost. Honoring God. Here's the, here's the thing. You're smart people. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And right now, some of you are like, I really need to do this. I was convicted of a godly thing that I have been neglecting to do this morning by this man right over here. Thanks, Kirk. He told me something that I had not been doing, and he's like, I hesitate to even bring this up. I was like, Kirk, this has been on my heart, and I haven't been doing that. You're right, but I've been doing other good things, so I justify why I can't get to that. Guys, you all know something that's been on your heart that maybe you need to be convicted of by the Holy Spirit or Kirk. Just talk to Kirk today, you know. You all know something on your heart right now that you need to do. You need to stop doing just what's okay, just what's kind of getting you through the day, that you're checking the boxes and do something really godly that matters. What is that right now? Do it. Do it. You're like, okay, I know what it is, but, but what? You know what will keep most of you from doing that next godly thing instead of just the next thing and then do it well? And you do it so well, those things that don't really matter. You know what's really going to keep you from doing that thing, uh, that, that but that came into most of your minds or would already come in? Uh, I'd really like to do that thing, but I don't have time. He says, do the next thing and make sure you're doing good. And a lot of times we say, well, I don't have time. We have to make uh, time a priority. We have to prioritize our time if we really want to do the right thing, the holy thing, the godly thing. Time is precious. You can't buy more of it. We all have the same amount. You can't create more. So we have to prioritize our time. Sadly, too many of us will just have, uh, have conceded and just say, well, I don't have time for that. You may be like me. Uh, maybe you're challenged to, to do something to, to keep yourself healthy, to maybe exercise or, or eat well, and it all takes more time. Often in the last few years, I was like, I'd really like to work out. I'd really like to play basketball or do these things or go running. But I don't have time for that. I've said that. You know what I really should say, and maybe you should consider saying when you say you don't have time? I should really go ahead and be honest and say, that is not a priority for me right now. I mean, that's honestly what I tell Tiffany. She's like, hey, would you like to go running with me? And I'm like, man, I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't really have time for that. What I should really say is, that's not a priority. Because we make time for what's a priority. 
Maybe it plays out for you like this. I'd really love to work with my kids on their homework and do their e-learning with them, but there's a lot going on. I don't have time. You know what you should really be honest and say? It's not a priority to me. Steps on your toes a little bit, but let's be honest. You, you might say, well, I'd really love to hang out with my spouse or, or go on a date night or, or go on a little mini vacation with just me and my spouse so we can really invest in each other. But there's so much going on. We're, we're kind of concerned about this or that. And we make all these excuses. We say, well, there's really no time. Maybe you should be honest say, that relationship is not the priority that I think it is. That really starts to hurt, doesn't it? Or here's what I've heard a lot. People who've who have wanted to say, hey, I, I love God. I, I know I should get back to worship. I know I should be studying his word. I know I should be spending time in prayer. But there's so much weirdness going on, I don't really have time. No, what we should really say is God is not a priority right now, and I'll do it later. We have to prioritize what's most important. I, I wonder what right now is going on in your life that is just okay, that it should be a priority, and it is, and is taking the place of what's really godly, what's great. What's going to make an impact for the kingdom? Ask yourself what right now, what really isn't a priority that you're doing and what you have been neglecting that you should do. And then make a decision to do that. During this season of life, uh, Tiffany does a great job keeping our time uh, prioritized. She has a schedule. She has her schedule, the boy's schedule, and she has my schedule, and she all keeps it clean. She keeps it all uh, going well. We sometimes have to make sacrifices of uh, one of us are going to do this with one child and one of us do this with one child and sometimes we're all busy and we'll ask someone else to come in to be reinforcements. Then something came up just a few months ago that has always been a priority to us and we weren't sure, well, how is this going to work that we're going to do this? You know, Matt resigned and went, off to, uh, went on to, uh, by God's calling, to, to uh, fulfill a position in northern Illinois at a church and, man, I pray blessings for him, but it left a hole for our students right here. Our student ministry uh, was left without a student pastor, and we're like, what are we going to do? It's always been a priority for Tiffany and I to invest in the next generation, not only our children, but the students of our church and the community. That, that's what I was originally called to was student pass, being a student pastor, a youth minister. And so what, you know what we did? It was a clear, quick decision. We stepped up with about 20 other adult leaders, and we have formed a team to invest and make sure that it is a priority that our students are invested in and have a connection point right here at church that they can invite their friends and have fun and hear about the good news of Jesus. It is a priority. Yes. You might say, well, why is it such a priority? About half you clapped and half of you didn't. You're like, what's the big deal about that? Guys, do you know that 80% of people who ever come to put their faith in Christ, 80%, if they ever accept Christ their Savior, do it before the age of 18. We have to make the next generation priority. They are not just the, the church of the future. They're the church of today. And if we neglect them, this church will be closed by the time that I die. So we have to make a priority. So you may be thinking, well, what's going to be neglected? I pray nothing. I pray that you would step up and you would fill in gaps. So you would say, well, Tyson, maybe he's not doing that. Maybe uh, there's uh, another whole ministry. We can all step up and make a priority of our time. I'm so thankful for the, the other church leaders who have stepped up. Tonight, invite your students to a youth group. We're probably going to be moving inside. There's maybe some weather coming in. We've always been outside so far. But our students, uh, send them with a mask tonight if we have to go inside because we're going to put those on just like they did at school. But um, here's the reality. Um, Jaime from the Greenville University is speaking, and I believe he's going to challenge our youth in a powerful way for Christ. So uh, make sure your students are here. 
uh, tonight for youth group, student ministry. We need to invest in what's important. It's about spending time with our students. It's about spending time with those that are shut in. It's about spending time with those who are worried and stressed out. If you know someone right now, you're like, oh, yeah, pastor, I know someone. You go visit them. Why don't you visit them? Why don't you prioritize your time? And if they need additional help, I'd be happy to come. But you can spend time with people. One of the greatest things you can do, especially during COVID, is spend time with those that are hurting. If you're online and you'd like a visit or a phone call, let us know. Uh, say, I'd love a phone call. I'd, I'd love some connection or call us. But we need to be spending time with people. I learned that at a young age. My mom and dad were very good at making sure we spent time with people in our connectivity that were lonely. I didn't like it at first. Whenever I was eight, I didn't really want to go hang out with a, a, a lonely neighbor. His name was Willie White. He lived up on top of the hill just about two miles south of our house. He, he had been there, I guess, for years. It was like a family farm, but then things like deteriorated, and he had bad luck, and he lost all of his relatives. He really had no one close to him. I believe he was a first-generation American. He, he talked with an accent. He was kind of a rough character. Whenever I got to know him, he was in his 90s. And with the help of some family, uh, some extended, not, not his family, but help some, some families that lived around there and friends, he, uh, they, they built him a house when his house became like too rough to live in. Willie White was ahead of his time. He didn't know it because he was living in a tiny house. You guys seen the new craze, tiny houses? They built Willie a house like 12 by 14, had one window and a door, a little kitchenette and a bed and a TV with rabbit ears. Willie, for some reason, liked to keep that little house at like 95 degrees, you know. He was always kind of cold. You'd go into that house, and honestly, the stench of him living alone and being older and never really doing laundry and all that else went with it being 95 would hit you like a ton of bricks. So we'd go to visit, and we'd leave the front door open, you know, and just kind of stand there in the doorway. But one day, I really wanted to go be with my friend. I love spending time with people, but I'd rather spend friend with my cousin Nathan because he had a, a BB gun and a... a uh, four-wheeler. I, I just love hanging out at his house. But before I was able to go to Nathan's house, dad says, we're going to go visit Willie. So we open the door and, and just that heat just hits you. And Willie said, come on in. You could only understand about half of what Willie said. He was uh, about five foot two and almost that wide. He filled up the door frame. He wasn't really heavy. He was just a big man. And he backed away from the door and invited us in and my dad says, hey, Willie, can we just hang out with you for a little bit? He's like, oh, yeah, come on in. And he just begins talking to us. And after a little bit, it was uh, my dad and uh, my sister and brother. And he asked us if we wanted a Coke. And, you know, back in those days, you always were supposed to say if you offered something, you're like, no, we don't want that. But we want it. So we looked at dad without saying anything. And dad kind of gave us the nod that we could enjoy a Coke from Willie. Willie pulled out a, a bottle of Coke from underneath his bed. Now, remember, the house was like 95 degrees, okay? So he... Popped the top of that, and, you know, the fizz just came out, and, and we drank that Coke at 95 degrees, something I wasn't used to at that time. We shared that bottle of Coke, and we hung out with him for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. As we were leaving, my dad perfectly said, Willie, thank you for letting us spend some time with you. Thank you for just letting us hang out. And Willie said, it was great to see you today. He says, come by any time. And I knew as I left that place, Dad was teaching us a lesson. That people that are lonely, people that need help, people that need encouragement, that is one of the greatest things we can do with our time is invest in them and let them know they're valuable. I wonder who you know right now that needs to be shared with, to be loved on, to be encouraged, and, and do that. His smile was well worth the time we spent that day. It's about doing good with our time. 
doing something that's godly, not just checking a box. He also says, command them to be rich in good deeds. This is a whole different idea. In chapter 6, verse 18, he says, be rich in good deeds. It could also be translated in good works. This isn't so much just about making sure you're doing godly things. He says, make sure you're doing the things that you've been empowered to do. Uh, The original Greek here had the concept of the things that you labor at, the things of your occupation. These are the things you're gifted at. Make sure you're doing the things of your giftedness. We've talked about time so far. I would also like to call this just your talents. These things that you've been blessed with, that, that you have a special blessing, a thing that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, these are the things you should be working with. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, these talents, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. You may say, well, I don't really have a talent. I don't really have these good works. I I don't really have these deeds that that only I could do. I'm really, there's nothing special about me. If you overcommit to that, every time uh, we as a Christian say, well, really, God hasn't blessed me with good gifts, you're disagreeing again with the word. And when the word says something you disagree with, you have to assume you're wrong and you need to examine that you're blessed with a gift. You've been blessed with a gift in advance to do good works for him. You may double down. You may say, I really don't have a gift. You're not being humble. You're not being meek. You're actually degrading God's holy work in your life through the Holy Spirit when you commit to say, I don't have anything I can do because the Bible says we all do. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, it says this, each of you, it doesn't say each of you except Bob or Bill or whatever, Barbara, whatever your name is. It says each of you with no exclusions have received a gift in order to serve others. You should use it faithfully. It may be going to visit people. It may be working in the nursery. Praise God, the nursery and the children's ministry is open. It may be helping with youth group. If you're like, man, I want to be number 21 in the youth group ministry right now, uh, do that because when our student ministry comes, we're not going to leave, amen. We're going to stay there uh, to make the youth ministry the best it can be. It may be to, uh, to be on the worship team. Just a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready for the youth trip to, to Bond Camp. And I went out to make sure the van and the, and the people mover was going to run because we haven't ran them for a while. COVID has shut those things down. You don't pile a bunch of kids in those things and be like, hey, we're going to go on a trip. It's just not what we do. But we ran them out to camp to make sure some kids would go to camp. And, and they needed some care. They needed some cleaning. We had just kind of neglected them. And, and right now, there's no one really in place to do that because of the COVID situation. So your gift may be just to make sure our, the mechanics of our automobiles are working right. That, that's a great gift to serve others. It may be just to offer hope through Jesus Christ. You may just want to tell someone about Jesus. I was convicted this week as I was thinking about how my parents used to just have us spend time with people that were lonely and maybe people that were kind of homebound. I was getting ready to to go visit a man who had just been placed on hospice here in town. And I was like, I'm going to take my kids. So I picked them up from school on Friday, and I was going to go visit them anyway, so I just put that visit off a little bit. I took my three youngest kids to visit this man on hospice. And as I walked in the door, I was greeted uh, by one of the family members, and they said, you know, I'm sorry, but he hasn't been awake for about 18 hours. We don't know if you'll even be able to wake him up. Do you know the blessing that it was whenever I put Daly on the end of his bed and she started talking to him? He woke up, okay? And the man began to talk, and he was introduced to my two younger boys, and they talked about his 1940 Chevy, and his eyes lit up uh, for about 10 minutes. But at the end of the conversation, he... uh, explained to me that he was trusting in Jesus, which he had one other time, and we prayed about that. And he went on to say that he wanted to confess Jesus as a Savior. 
So my three young children at the foot of his bed saw me get down on my knees and lead this guy through the great confession of who Jesus is. I pray that it touches their life. I pray that his life was touched and his family's life was touched and he confessed that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. And he believed he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And God works in mysterious ways. But each of you are like, well, I could never do that. Yes, it is. It's talking about a Chevy and then bringing up Jesus. It didn't hurt that my little daughter gave him a shot of energy, I think. But it's a blessing. What can you do to use your gifts to be faithful to serve others? So we've talked about our time and our talents. There's one other thing. He does say treasure. He says in two different ways that we should be generous and willing to share. These are two different Greek words dealing with the same thing. He's talking about the finances now. He's saying there's going to be a time where you've been blessed with resources and you've got to be generous, willing to share. The first Greek word here is literally used only one time in the entire Bible. This word is once, and it, we translate it, be generous. But it literally means to be ready to give, to have an eager anticipation for the resources you have to give to someone else. It comes with this idea to distribute what you have to others in need. It, it, it has this idea of doing it freely. Uh, most uh, commentators say uh, a great word to describe it is use these, gener these gifts liberally. You're like, I didn't think this was going to be a political uh, conversation. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. But we are to offer gifts liberally. This is the idea that we apply them abundant, with abundance. During our staycation, one, one uh, afternoon, I was making daily a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, and I didn't really, you know, I haven't done that a lot lately, to be honest. You know, uh, uh, she's making them sometimes for herself. Tiffany usually makes them. But I was applying the peanut butter with uh, very much uh, some discretion. I put just a little bit on. I smoothed it out nice and neat. And she looked at it. She looked at me. She goes, is that all? So I put it back in, and she loves peanut butter, and I got a heaping uh, butter knife full of peanut butter, and I slapped it on, and I smoothed it out, made it rough, and it was just liberally dis displayed on the bread. She goes, now that's more like it. <laughs> I wonder what you're holding back, and you're just kind of putting on thin. You're just barely getting by. Here's what the Word of God says. When someone has a need, you do it liberally. You do it with great generosity. Jesus uses not the same word, but, but a, a word that comes from the same root word. In Luke chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. Now, that's generous. Like, how could I give one away if I only have two? That's what he's talking about. Be ready to meet that need in a moment. By the way, if you need a shirt, Hope Change Everything shirts right over here. Grab one. If you have food, he says, share it with those that are hungry. Do it generously. Do it. Keep doing it. And then he also uses another Greek word that we translate willing to share. It comes from the root word koinonia. You may have heard uh, that word koinonia before. A lot of churches will have a, a koinonia room, a fellowship room. Uh, it's, a word, it's, a, it's a word that literally means uh, it's a space occupied or, or uh, uh, an effort to bring fellowship to the body, to bring relationship and growth. So here's the concept when you put these two words together in this text. It is you're offering something, you're providing something, you're sharing something in hope that they come to know and fellowship with the body and Jesus. Sometimes we give just so people can survive, and, and that's okay. Sometimes that's needed. Sometimes we give like the, the, the Pharisees and, and the teacher law, and we just check it off the box. But God says in his text, we give to create a space for people to know Christ. That's why we give. 
We, create a, we, we give to create an opportunity for people to know Jesus. Have you ever shared anything or had a conversation with someone, invested in something for the purpose of fellowship, for the purpose of bringing a relationship? That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what we need to do. That's why we're online. We've created another space where you can be with us online for the purpose of not just feeling good about yourself so you could be in fellowship with Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why we're on the radio now, to create another space, to, to create an opportunity for people to know Christ and know the church family, even when we're apart and we're thankful for these things. That's why there's a West Wing that is masked all the time now because we want to create a space for someone who... who uh, finds that valuable and is living in that circumstance right now, this space is for someone to continue to have fellowship with the body in Christ, even if you don't desire to have masks. This is for someone who does, and it will stay here for a while. You might be like, I'm against masks. Well, you can sit here, here, here. If you need to, you can sit right up here by me, okay? But we're going to do all that we can to create space for fellowship, amen? Uh, create space for people to know Christ, and when we pack these rooms in the next few months, uh, we're going to quickly go again into the Family Life Center to create space for people to know him. What will you do to create a space of fellowship, an invitation to know Jesus? What are you going to do? It's not just about what the church does. What will you do? Maybe it will go and have a Coke with someone who's lonely. That'll probably do more than a sermon ever will. Maybe you'll go and mow someone's yard or rake their leaves what are you going to do to be generous to create a space for fellowship for Christ to come into that person's life? That's your challenge. That's what you're commanded to do. You're Tyson, well, that's your job. No, it's, we're all, it's all, all of our jobs. To be generous, to create a space for fellowship. And here's the beauty of what happens. In this way, know this. When we do these things, when we share our time, talents, and treasures, in this way, in these things, we lay up treasure in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. We're offering these things so others can take hold of life in Christ. God has blessed us so much to be a blessing. Now he ends this passage. We're going to end with this. We're almost done. He says, grace be with you. Why do you think he ends this passage? He does it with a lot of his writings, but Paul says, after all this talk of what we got to do, he says, grace be with you. Here's why he does this, I believe is because our hope has to be in grace. Please hear this. Our hope is not in the fact that you give the right amount of money, you spend the right amount of time, and you use your gifts enough. We have been taught in some of our church cultures that you are saved because of what you do, what you give, and how you spend your time. That is not why we're saved. We're saved by grace. And then because we're blessed by that, we share these things so other people can have that grace. And he says, grace be with you. There's no greater blessing than sharing and receiving grace, and that's where our hope is. Look what he says as I close in chapter one, verse, chapter 6, verse 17. He says, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What is your hope in? What, what, is, your, what is your hope in? Is it in things of this world? Is it in the things you can do? Our hope has to be in God and the grace he offers through Jesus. And then when that happens, we really begin to live to be a blessing to others. We're going to sing a song right now, a classic. On Christ the solid rock I stand. So I would invite you to stand right now. And if you realize that you have not given your life to Christ, do that today. The baptistry is, is waiting. When, when you confess Jesus as your Savior and you're reborn in him, you have life forever. You're made new. 
And then you're set apart to be a blessing to others. Maybe you need prayer today. You maybe need to make a commitment to D or I or your spouse or someone around you saying, man, I've been blessed and I need to be a blessing. Hold me accountable to do this with my time, with my talents, and my treasures. Whatever it may be, we're here to, to help you. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for the blessings of Jesus, that he's our rock. Lord, give us peace today as we come into this time to know that through the grace that you offer, we stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. Help us also to, to, to be a blessing to others, to apply what the scripture, we've been commanded, now let's live it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.